Star dropping straight back. Hit as he throws. Has the ball. It is McGee. Touchdown. Stepped right by a defensive back. It was Cheryl Hedrick who had a hand on it, but McGee simply ripped his way out of his grasp. And it's a 37-yard touchdown punt. There's a snap. There's a kick. It is up. It is. No good. No one missed. Four seconds left. The Giants have won Super Bowl 25. Washington outside left. Roethlisberger has time. Throws to the back of the end zone. And it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. Minus three. With Dave Damashek. Yes, hi and hello and welcome to Super Bowl week in Los Angeles. And welcome to Minus 3 presented by FanDuel. Get in there, bet along with us or against us. That's up to you. Just make sure you do it at FanDuel.com. Slash minus three, the word minus, the number three is how you do it. Coming up in just a little bit, yes, the Bengals and Rams, you know about that one. And of course, you probably know, in case you don't, it's right now the Rams laying four. The total on that one is 48 and a half. Eddie Spaghetti and I in lockstep, Bengals plus four. Where are you on the total there, Eddie Spaghetti? Uh, the total with with it being 48 and a half, and uh, I, I mean... I think right now I'd probably lean under. I think we're going to see a slow start. The, the team's uh, kind of playing tight. Uh, obviously, the Rams even still pretty good. Uh, the Bengals defense has some good players. I could see, you know, Stafford hasn't prone to throwing interceptions, so I could see a little bit of a defensive matchup. I could see the game ending in the low 20s for both teams. I think we're going to have a close one, but it'll still have the under uh, 40 and a half as of now. All right, there will be tons of uh, of buzzing about this Super Bowl as it draws ever closer. Maybe not as much as we've heard over recent years, and I want to talk about that with our guest coming up, Chris Trapasso, founder of the Scouting Grade Book in CBS Sports and Beyond, and an old pal of uh, Eddie Spaghetti's in mind from the NFL, and we'll dig in on all things draft. Like I say, Bengals, Rams, we know that. What about the other 30 teams? And in fact, the Bengals and Rams are going to be drafting. Well, maybe not the Rams. I think they gave up all their picks for the next 27 years to get to this spot. Either way, a lot of fan bases looking ahead to the draft, especially following the college all-star games, the performances of Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett and beyond. It is a QB league. Want to talk to Chris about who he likes out of this upcoming QB class. And remember, everybody, just because the experts are saying there is no bona fide QB, franchise QB available in this draft, these are many of the same people who told you there wasn't one available in 2017 when Patrick Mahomes was sitting there. So, um, you know, look at it with, uh, with those notes with a grain of salt. We're going to dig in on the draft after these college all-star games. Like I say, in the meantime, you know, I, uh, no, no Super Bowl buzz. Is it because analytics has ma have made us have convinced too many of us that QB wins aren't a thing and that the luster of hoisting the Lombardi trophy doesn't matter that much or it matters a little bit less than it did a decade ago. We'll dig in all that or is it the distractions of what's happening with Brian Flores and uh, and his righteous charges uh, that or that he alleges against the league or some of the owners? Is it Kyler Murray unfollowing the Arizona Cardinals? What does that mean? What about Alvin Kamara in the news for, for nothing good there? Meantime, we're fewer than five weeks away from Selection Sunday in college basketball. 
the puck is about to drop on the second half of the NHL season. Go back and listen to Eddie Spaghetti and Mikey Meatballs, of course, with uh, Spaghetti and Meatballs. In fact, they're coming up in just a little bit to talk some puck for you. Um, NBA going to tip off there. And Spaghetti and I are going to give you a couple more Super Bowl props in just a second here. But before we jump into all that, let's talk to the aforementioned Chris Trapasso about things on the heels also of those college all-star games. There was a Pro Bowl. I mean, it looked like 22 James Hardens out there, right, Eddie Spaghetti? I mean, the effort was woeful. It is long past time to enact Damashek's righteous call to replace the Pro Bowl with the loser bowl, the two worst teams play one another on a burnt out junior high field. That's what they deserve. People say, oh, what players would want to play in that? I don't know. Money will answer that. How about that? Right, Eddie Spaghetti? Enough's enough already. Nobody wants this Pro Bowl anymore. It was a, a bad weekend for all-star celebrations, and I'm sure myself and Meatballs will get into it with the NHL all-star game, but like, there's no defense being played in that game, no defense being played in the Pro Bowl, uh, and any anything to change it up. If there's no incentive to try in the Pro Bowl and make it count for what, however it could count, then yeah, I'm, I'm all for uh, you know the idea uh, that you have the loser bowl, uh, or is it your idea? I'm not sure anymore because of it's my idea. Chiefs offensive lineman. I was uh, texting with him, Jeff Allen, and he said, the problem is, is that there's just no incentive to try in the Pro Bowl. And his good idea is you need to make the reward much greater for the winning side. I still don't think it's worth it in a collision sport to be having all-star games. I'm with you on hockey. Hockey's a collision sport, too. Why lay it out there like that and potentially risk injury? Baseball and basketball are different, but you know, with uh, on the other side of the Super Bowl, we have the NBA All-Star Game. My great idea for that one is in another silly defenseless game. Let's replace the five on five with one on one. Everybody will love it. We have one six ten and over division, one six uh, uh, six nine and under division. Everybody will eat it up. The uh, the All-Star Game in basketball, at least, will be fixed for that. But we'll have time to talk about all that stuff in a little bit. Like I say, we have some prop bets for you in a second uh, um, coming up and some puck talk for you. But right now, let's get to Chris Trapasso after we remind you it all comes down to this 56 LVI celebrated FanDuel Sportsbook. They're ready to hook you up. All customers, not new customers. I said all customers with a risk-free same-game parlay. Cousin Sal has one up there for you already at FanDuel.com. Do it however you want. All elements of the biggest game out there. New and existing customers. Any same-game parlay of three legs or more on the Super Bowl. And if you don't win, FanDuel's going to refund you anyhow. Same-game parlays, if you aren't familiar somehow. They combine multiple bets from the same game into one wager, one wager for bigger payouts. Build your parlay your way with spreads, money lines, totals, Super Bowl props, and more. Spaghetti and I already told you, we're on the Bengals plus the four. There's one. Figure out the other two. Cooper Cup receiving yards, uh, Joe Mixon rushing yards. Those are those are a couple uh, of um, examples for you of prop bets. You can involve them all. Do it at FanDuel Sportsbook, the market leader, of course, number one sportsbook, just because of fun bets like this, fast payouts, all the rest of it, rest of it. And most importantly, make sure you're doing it. FanDuel.com slash minus three, the word minus the number three, and we'll see you in the winner circle, or maybe we won't. Real quick, let's work in a quick break here. 
All right, this is fun, everybody. We're zigging a little bit while the rest zag. Of course, our eyes are on the Super Bowl, as we've made clear here, but also we want to look ahead. There are only two teams in the Super Bowl. The other 30 fan bases are out there about to head into the desert, or perhaps they're already there to help give you something to look forward to specifically there's free agency of course the draft is on the way and before you know it it'll be autumn 2022 and we'll be ready to kick it all off again let's figure out some key players that aren't yet players in pro football yet but will be by the end of the draft process with a guy who we've known for quite some time now we worked together over there at the nfl a while ago now he's a breakout star and founder of the scouting grade book it's chris trapasso what's the poop fella How's it going, Dave? Thanks for having me. And just hearing that intro brings me back to the awesome NFL videos mm. that when I was working at NFL.com, I used to love to watch, get them on the homepage. Uh, so it's an honor to be on this podcast to talk some NFL draft. Well, I, listen, it's uh, it's fun to get to talk with you. I remember when we were first kibitz in many moons ago and you were <laughs> you were a young fella just coming up this and that. And uh, and here we are. You came through clean on the other side. And let's talk about the 2022 draft and all of that. But first of all, before we got going here, um, before we hit the record button, me, you, and Eddie Spaghetti were having a little conversation. And it's funny. It occurs to me. I, I, I guess I went conspiracy theory. I, I, I'm becoming what I hate, the uh, the 21st century um, shortcut to being an intellectual is to just float um, conspiracy <laughs> theories. And so I floated to you guys. Like, why is it that we don't care as much, it feels, about this Super Bowl and you can attribute it to Flores and Alvin Kamara and Kyler Murray unfollowing people on Twitter and this had no coaching hires and who needs to be hired and where's Aaron Rodgers going to go. But there is little buzz about what presents as a pretty juicy head-to-head matchup here. Two first overall QBs, the home team Rams playing, the upstart Bungles. And I floated to you guys. Well, first of all, let's start there, Trapasso. I'm not going to tell you what I think. You tell me, why is it that we're not as interested in this Super Bowl as we have been, say, as we were maybe five, ten years ago? Well, I think in general, the last few Super Bowls, I know two years ago when Mahomes leads the comeback in the fourth quarter, that was a good game. Last year, from the get-go, we knew that the Chiefs were not going to be able to block the Buccaneers' defensive line, and that kind of just made every Chiefs drive seem boring and Tom Brady didn't really do a lot but he had a couple touchdowns that game was boring we had the lowest scoring Super Bowl in in Super Bowl history 13 to 3 the year before that so I think more so than anything else is just we haven't had a lot of good Super Bowls but I think to what you're going to say about analytics there is some credence to that too maybe so yes you're right maybe I'm spoiled I grew up I'm older than you and Eddie Spaghetti and I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there but I grew up with um Watching a lot of those Super Bowls in the 80s were just abject bum games, like the worst games of the year, just completely one sided. And there was a lot of sort of analysis about why does this keep happening in the in the biggest game? Why do they keep turning so one sided? The NFC almost always Mm -hmm. obliterated the AFC. And, you know, John Elway, to his credit, got some mediocre Broncos teams into those Super Bowls in the 80s. But whether it was Montana or even Phil Sims and Doug Williams and whoever else, it was pretty consistently a shaming. And even your bills took a couple of those that uh, were on the wrong side of those um, at the top of the 90s. 
And then we got into a sweet spot where the Super Bowl equaled some of the best, most exciting, most unpredictable games. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's just attributable to the games not being very good. And also the 50th Super Bowl, that Panthers-Broncos game was a bum game as well. Outside of Von Miller strip sacking Cam and then Cam later not following on the fumble. What rightly can anybody summon from that? So maybe it's just a victim of the games not being that juicy. But I'm going to float an idea for you. The analytics people, as I have forewarned, I'm all for analytics. They should be a part of things. I like robots being a part of the Big Blue Marble's future. But I also fear that robots, like we saw in the Terminator series, how they can basically be the cause of taking us all down. Analytics is threatening to take football into turning it into just a math equation. And specifically with the big game, I fear that we have now kind of sort of accepted the notion that Who's in the Super Bowl doesn't equal the two best teams. And I've pointed at that for some time. But it's kind of now been rendered not irrelevant, but not that important if you win. People who argue against QB wins as a metric to gauge quarterbacks, of course it matters. That's why they have the whole tournament after the regular season. They have the whole postseason thing. And then they give out the one trophy at the end of it to signify you are the best. That's the imperfect, flawed system to determine the champion of each football season. So as long as they continue to do the whole trophy thing, it does matter. But now it doesn't feel as important because analytics people have convinced us that just because you're in the Super Bowl doesn't mean you're the best. And whether you win or lose, it matters. But it doesn't matter as much as what you did over the preceding 16, now 17 games. And it has diminished the greatness of the greatest game in American sports. How say you, Trapasso? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And I'm all for analytics as well. But I, I think analytics, like fundamental phrase or idea, like process over results, like that's being tied in here. That like, hey, even if the best team, say the Chiefs by the end of the season, uh, they were doing things the right way. They ultimately didn't get even to the Super Bowl. But that's okay. When in reality, the Chiefs should feel like, hey, this was an abject failure that we didn't get back to the Super Bowl and win another one. So I think the fact that the Bengals, what, were 10 and 7 during the regular season, we've had a couple teams like the Joe Flacco Ravens get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl when they clearly weren't the best team or didn't have the best quarterback. I think the have a good process, even if your results in the short term are not great. Um, that it that idea is more mainstream now than it was even probably five or ten years ago. Um, and, and along with analytics, team building and, and being competitive over a 10-year stretch seems to be more of a, a goal for fans and for teams than, hey, let's just do what we need to do to win, which I think for this Super Bowl makes it more interesting with the Rams being like the most all-in team that we've seen, mm -hmm. at least in my lifetime, in terms of not only just trading um, in the offseason, but trading in season for Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I think we, as a, a collective NFL faithful, that watching it in the media, we're more in tune to long-term team building and having a good process over like, hey, this is a fun run, maybe an imperfect run by the Cincinnati Bengals that could ultimately lead to that team's first Super Bowl. Boy, a, a lot of good points you make there. And right, I've I've long supported spiritually the idea of going for it now, trading 
for future picks. And this guy's a prospect who's going to arrive in about three or four years. You see that obviously more in baseball and hockey than you do in football. But still, the point stands. And I think we should celebrate the Rams for going all in, trying to win it right now. Who knows what the future holds? And to some degree, the Bengals also did that. They land the, the genuine article. And this allows us to transition into the the most coveted position because it's the most important position, not just in football, but all of sports is the quarterback. So once they land Joe Burrow, the genuine franchise level QB, they had the money to go out there and they didn't just sit back and and build through the draft to their credit. You know, the Brown family has been knocked. Mike Brown has been knocked for not spending enough in free agency. Mm-hmm. Well, they definitely did that this offseason. They went out and fixed that defense considerably via free agency primarily. So perhaps this is a nice win win for everybody who is all about. I want my team to go for it instead of, of yeah. trying to play for the future. As far as that goes, though. How are you about the Bills? I mean, you know, this is the thing. This is why sports, if you diminish the meaning of playoff games, then you diminish, and I get why you'd want to be let off the hook as a Buffalo Bills guy. But you you want to feel like, yeah, but we'll get them next year. And we still have Josh Allen. We still have a good roster. But you're never going to be back in that spot. You're never going to be up in Arrowhead on the Chiefs with 13 seconds to go, that's a moment you may get back to. You might get closer. You might even get to the top of the mountain. But there's no, there's no guarantee you will. And that's what makes it so fun. But but so such a gut punch. But how are you doing emotionally and otherwise right now? I'm doing good emotionally. My dad, who has had season tickets for the Bills since the '70s, since the Ralph Wilson or formerly known as Ralph Wilson Stadium opened in '72, '73. Uh, it's taken him a while. We were actually out in Buffalo getting pizza last Sunday. I was trying not to think about the AFC title game for my dad's sake. Hmm. And we're eating, no one's talking. And then all of a sudden my dad goes, we should be at the tailgate right now. And I was like, dad, you can't hang on to it that long. But I I think he's still feeling it. And, And to your point and to what we just talked about, I think forever Bills fans were like looking for the next Jim Kelly. Let's build for the future. You know, if, a quarterback isn't the guy or if Marcel Darius or Sammy Watkins aren't the guys trade them. Think about the future, the next 10 years. Now that Josh Allen is here, I think we've, I, I've seen it. My friends, my dad, my uncles, they're like, no, now trade for Donnell Hunter. Try to get whoever you can get to win a Super Bowl. And to your point, there've been a lot of people I've talked to over the last two weeks that are like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't say for sure if the bills will get back in such a good situation as being 13 seconds away from hosting an AFC title game with a relatively young quarterback in Josh Allen. So I think I've witnessed it myself that I've always been thinking toward the next 10 years for the Bills. But now it's like, hey, you never know what's going to happen, what injuries are going to be there, um, Mm -hmm. that it's, it's more of a instant gratification society today, obviously. And when you can have a chance to maybe go from just winning your division to winning a Super Bowl, I think it's smarter for teams to ultimately do that. And the Rams maybe have kind of shown this new blueprint where we won't always get GM saying, Oh, we're going to build through the draft and we're not going to spend money in free agency. Even if the Rams don't win, maybe there's a bad bounce here. They miss a field goal. They lose teams should be looking at them and saying, Hey, they went for it and added established stars to their roster. And we're right there with the chance to take home the Vince Lombardi trophy. 
I love that. That, that. That's exactly right. And by the way, this all kind of ties back to a conversation Sal brought up on Extra Points last week. He asked when was it over the last 55 years, when was it toughest? What era or mini era within the 55, now 56 years of Super Bowl? And was the toughest to get through to win the whole thing. And you can say 17th game and more good quarterbacks and, you know, variation in, in scheme and all that kind of stuff. I think it was, I know it's an extended window, but 71 to 95, 24 mm. out of 25 Super Bowls are won by just seven teams because wow. it was a cast system. There was no free agency. So if you drafted mm -hmm. well, you were in good shape for the next decade because those guys weren't going anywhere unless you let them go somewhere. And there weren't a ton of trades or anything else. So you were kind of locked in. If you were one of those seven teams, if you were one of the halves, one of the juggernauts, well, then you had a decent chance of winning it perennially. If you were on the outside of that, though, you had, base, you had essentially 0% chance, to your point. At least Flacco, Nick Foles, Brad Johnson, there are a couple of exceptions out there. Jimmy G almost. There are a couple of exceptions that that kind of prove the rule but last thing before we look ahead to 2022 josh allen do you imagine that or are you are you in line were you a gm or the head coach or otherwise of the bills despite the results you saw in arrowhead and throughout the season do you say to josh allen that's it with the running around stuff we just can't continue to expose you to that because we want to have uh, an extended run with you under center here. And we see Cam uh, Cam Newton. We see Ben Roethlisberger. Mm -hmm. They broke down a little bit sooner than some of the other guys who are who kept themselves clean over the course of their careers. Do you think that they try to flip that switch and turn things over to another running back? I mean, you know, Singletary, Moss, mediocre mm -hmm. at best this past season. How say you with the future sort of philosophy of how you handle your franchise QB? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think they will try to dial it back a little bit. And, and just to bring back one more uh, point from that uh, last question, that's another reason why you got to kind of go all in because the Bills will probably never have that much of a dynamic running and passing threat in Josh Allen being 25 years old with 25-year mm. legs as they just had in that divisional round game against the Chiefs. So, yeah, I, I think they'll try to dial it back a little bit, and, and certainly that won't mean that he can't get outside the pocket and extend plays and then throw the football down the field where he's very dangerous. But I don't know if they necessarily want him running the ball over a hundred times a season or close to a hundred times a season. And just his demeanor on the field is kind of Ben Roethlisberger ask where he's not afraid to take hits. This is not Russell Wilson with a baseball background sliding and always getting out of bounds, never taking a big hit. Josh Allen is delivering a lot of those hits. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that he still has the ability to create but in terms of the designed run game, I don't think we'll see that as much. And the Bills will make more of a concerted effort building the offensive line and getting more talent at running back. Because like midway through the season, they were kind of reeling with their ground game and said, hey, let's just let Josh Allen run the football. I don't think that's the best course of action as he gets into his mid and late 20s. So Josh Allen, a different level of mobile. When we hear the word mobile from GMs and head coaches and beyond, Mobile doesn't mean a run first guy. There's Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, and that's a, that's a different level of specimen what those guys can do. But now, as you know, my favorite team, the Steelers, you know, I think the Bills wanted 
their version of Roethlisberger, and now the Steelers want their version of Josh Allen. The you know time is a flat circle, or maybe it's shaped <laughs> yeah. uh, in an oblong ball covered in uh, in leather. Either way, 2022 draft some intriguing prospects. A lot of the experts have decreed. I don't know if you heard, and I don't know if you're a part of this Trapasso, but I have heard it repeatedly over the last few weeks, Nate, last few months. There is no quarterback available in this draft that's worthy of a high first-round pick. How say you? I think that's crazy. I mean, I, just with the value of the position, that's one area, and, and I'm not trying to disrespect any other NFL draft analysts, that I don't understand, that that will get running backs uh, graded inside the first round, uh, nose tackles graded inside the first round. Just positional value alone, I, I think that's preposterous. So if you just go by on the other end of the spectrum – Quarterback should almost always be in the first round just because if you happen to hit on him, your team can go from an 18-year playoff drought like the Bills to perennial Super Bowl contenders like that. So I, I think it's not as highly touted of a class as last year, but it's kind of ironic because Trevor Lawrence was bad, Zach Wilson was bad, hmm. Justin Fields uh, was not very good with the Bears, and, and that those three were like, these are instant franchise changers, and they weren't. I think that's a little bit crazy. I think that there are some good talents. Malik Willis is my favorite quarterback in this draft class. Kenny Pickett right behind him. And the one point that I'll make on this to, to kind of wrap it up, regardless of which quarterback you like, we all understand now that situation matters. You listen to a podcast, you read an article about quarterbacks transitioning to the NFL, you will see or hear, oh, well, the situation matters. And the Jets failed Sam Darnold and the Giants have failed Daniel Jones. How I look at it is if a quarterback gets picked, say Malik Willis goes to the Giants at number six, whatever, it's up to them to determine if he's a bust or not. If they build his offensive line and give him good receivers and a good tight end and and a smart play caller, he's going to be really good. And Josh Allen was super raw, not ready to be a starter at the NFL level, even when he did start in that rookie season in 2018. Brandon Bean signed six offensive linemen the next offseason, brought in Cole Beasley and John Brown, traded for Stephon Diggs. They helped Josh Allen not be a bust. So I look at it almost reverse and say, which quarterback, when I'm watching Liberty or I'm watching Pittsburgh, which quarterback can be really good if he's on a decent team? There's no high-end quarterback that started his career with a bad offensive line and receivers who couldn't get open that just was instantly elevating everyone. Like, Brady was on those Patriots teams winning those first couple Super Bowls that had like the best defense in the NFL, a great running game, Bill Belichick game planning. He was throwing it 20 times a game. Ben Roethlisberger, too, winning that first Super Bowl was very much uh, a game manager with kind of a positive connotation to that early on to give him some time to slow down the the speed of the game, how he's reading defenses. So I, I think when you hear that, oh, there's no really good quarterbacks that should go in the first round, that's more an indictment of, hey, maybe these front offices don't know what they're doing or, or how to build around one of these quarterbacks. I think it's a little bit lesser pool of talent, but Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, I even like Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, I think in the right environment can, yes, be franchise quarterbacks. I, you know, I, I love exactly that. The the team that did the biggest commit to the QB that they have is is what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, yep. you know, with yep. the, what he showed in the second half of his rookie year. They went all in on that. I do wonder, you know, talking about long-term, intermediate kind of, uh, 
I'm with you. If if what you think you need, I, 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 this is what I've said about running backs for a decade now. It, you have to adjust your eye or your, uh, adjust your expectation. The idea that your running back is a bust if he doesn't make it 12 good years in the league is is being overly optimistic. If you get five years, I know it's it's cruel and nihilistic with that young guy's future, but if you get four or five good years, the the it feels to me, again, maybe cruel on the human level, but I do think that the guys who identify where the game is like, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna run this guy 300 times a game and, and shame the devil. We don't expect him to be out there at 31 <laughs> like Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore are unicorns at this point, but that's not mm -hmm. our concern. We're going to pay this guy. He's going to be a rich guy by the time we're done. But the idea of a second contract is where things get dicey. But okay, so let's talk about some of these names. And I, and I think you're right. I do have to just revisit here, and it's not calling anyone in particular out, but I do say, caveat emptor, when you're listening to these to the draft experts and some of them are are i'm directly pals with you're, you're you included i'm not trying to diminish anyone for being wrong about an individual name or about entire draft classes or otherwise but let's keep in mind that when people tell you there's not a, a high end a real difference maker in this draft these are some of the same people who said in 2017 that there were that there were no franchise level qbs and that class mitch trubisky was the most highly touted of that He's a backup. We'll see where he lands this offseason. And behind him, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. So, again, the bottom line is, I guess people are cavalier glib and they say no one knows anything. But it is still, at best, a 60-40 proposition you're going into. And your point is it's worth that roll of the dice because the payout mm -hmm. is much greater. It's like being at a at the dice table, at least bet where the, where the payout is greater it is, is what I glean from what you're saying to us. And, of course, 2018, Bake goes one, Darnold goes two, Josh Allen squeezes in there, then there's Josh Rosen, and there's Lamar Jackson. So the overall first-round picks – only two of five at this point have hit, and it was two guys who people had a lot of questions about. Lamar Jackson, that's a fun what if, by the way. You want to do NFL, where else can you slot Lamar Jackson? The correct Ooh. answer is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They should have not believed what they saw in that postseason with Blake Bortles. They should have taken Lamar Jackson. Instead, they took Taven Bryan. Go ahead and do the calculation on where that Jags team would be <laughs> had they done that instead of taking yeah the uh the illustrious see now i'm making fun of poor taven bryan he didn't do anything to anybody <laughs> well that's kind of the problem for their jacks he didn't do anything to anybody yeah. um but okay so we can grade out the last five i can go through and show you how wrong people were about a number of people who they really hyped deshaun kaiser by the way i had Ooh. on a lot of draft experts boards uh, ahead of uh, patrick mahomes again because of the risk involved there but let's go through them here i know you're hip on malik willis Spoiler alert, if you're drafting, let's say, 20th, any chance Malik Willis is there by the time uh, that pick rolls around? It feels like he probably won't be. Uh, it, every year and beyond Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow, who kind of ascended rapidly uh, up to number one overall, Kyler Murray, too, in 2019, there's always like someone else that kind of rises up, like Daniel Jones in that 2019 draft class that right around this time, like pre-Super Bowl, right after, oh, he could be a first-round pick. He goes six overall. Zach Wilson, oh, he's got some fun film. He goes number two overall. I think eventually, regardless of you know how good the class is perceived to be or how deep it is, the quarterbacks get pushed up, and Malik Willis has that skill set of 
improviser with a big arm that needs a little bit of refinement. So I, and that's, yes, you can maybe find a hyper accurate quarterback. That's not going to move a lot. I mean, the Patriots had decent success with Mac Jones this season. I think he actually held them back um, a certain degree, but Hmm. if you're looking for the next Justin Herbert or Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes caliber talent, that's Malik Willis. And normally in the first round and Shaq, you certainly know uh, following the NFL draft for a while that usually the high end talents get the guys picked, whether it is quarterback or another position early in the first round, every single year, there's, you'll hear, uh, you know, commentators, experts say, Hey, he's not really that great yet, but he could be. So I, I think that's the book on Malik Willis that, um, he's relatively low floor. He could bust out of the league, but again, I think if he does, it'll be because the team doesn't build around him correctly. The skills that he have just or the skills that he has just cannot be coached once he gets to the NFL. He's a crazy good runner and he has a rocket for an arm. Yeah, he does. And I've liked him and I, you know, I get the cynicism when he goes against high end competition, but of course you can explain that away if you want to. Um, we'll get to small hands in a minute. What about small stature though? Is there, is there been, have people pulled off that a little bit? Russell Wilson, Drew Brees made it okay to take a guy who was six feet tall Kyler Murray, a dynamite couple of years put together, but the results in the postseason, balls getting batted down. Now it feels like there's some concern again about like, man, he's not seeing over the line of scrimmage. You got to boot him out to to make him successful. He is only six feet tall. Is 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 am I right that uh, personnel guys are now considering that, or is that a thing of the past to worry about how tall a guy is? That is a great question because I think it's become a thing of the past for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, a lot of the examples um, that how I look at quarterbacks, I don't even in my grading system that I use, I don't even like include their height. Like to me, that's not something that will make or break them as quarterbacks. If you're Brock Osweiler and you're six foot eight, that wasn't going to make him a better quarterback. And if you're concerned about, Hey, Kyler Murray's five eleven or he's just six foot Baker's too small. I think that will ultimately show in something in his game. Like he literally never throws it over the middle because he can't see over the center. That never happened for those two quarterbacks at Oklahoma. And I think people think, Hey, if he's five eleven, he must be uh, kind of tiny framed and won't have a big arm. And that's certainly not the case for Baker Mayfield. I think there's other concerns with his game is why he hasn't been as good as you want from a number one overall pick. Um, but Malik Willis, it's funny that he just is over six foot and there was no like, worry about that there was no buzz leading into the Super Bowl is he going to be under six foot did Liberty kind of fudge the numbers a little bit so I I think we've come a long way realizing that maybe if a guy's Doug Flutie coming into the league today at five eight or five nine that could be a problem with how big the linemen have gotten but unless it shows on film like hey this five foot ten guy just doesn't have a strong arm and he really cannot see over his linemen then as long as it doesn't show on film, then it's completely fine. And it's just funny to me that had this been three or four years ago, the height for Malik Willis just barely being over six foot, Sam Howell too from uh, North Carolina, right, right, right. just over six foot at the senior bowl. No one really batted an eye at it. So I think we've come a long way in that regard. Okay. I'm with you on Malik Willis largely. And, and for many of the reasons you just said, realistically now, see, I think it, what, what, what makes this off season and the last few have been super intriguing, really, since Peyton Manning yeah. goes into mm-hmm. free agency and starts. It kind of opens up the possibilities of, of 
You know, the, the, the rules that everybody abides by, you can't ha draft a quarterback. It's a per, a same, a same as that. Can't draft a quarterback who's under six feet, like that, or, or six feet tall. That just would never work. Then Russell Wilson comes along and Drew Brees and so on. And, and then that goes out the window. You could never try to run some sort of option style offense. The guys are too fast for that to work at the NFL level. Well, then teams do it. And then that goes out the window. Um, as far as that goes, like Cliff Kingsbury, Coming in, replacing Josh Rosen, maybe Cliff Kingsbury won't be a long-tenured guy, but he'll always resonate in pro football lore because he oversaw the Cardinals going like, yeah, I know we took that other guy first last year, but we're moving on from him already. That just was... You, you just couldn't do that. Like, why? You can't you can't move on one year later. You can't... Yeah, you can't. They, they, they did it, and it's worked out, and they're not up against it for any other... You know, like, like yeah, but you would you would set your team back in terms of drafting for the next several years by doing that. Not really. They, they made the playoffs. They were in line to get the, the number one, to, to be the number one seed in the mighty NFC this past season. Um, so do you think a team like the Giants at this point moves off of Danny Dimes? Is it conceivable to you that the Giants, Eddie Spaghetti's team, might do something like the other possibility would be that I floated? Do you think the Giants are in touch with the Seahawks and saying, well, we know Russ would love to be a giant. How about we give you Danny Dimes and a first? Does that, do you think something like that is possible? Do you think the Giants are like, well, we have the luxury of two high firsts. Let's burn one on this kid here, even though we still have Danny Dimes in the locker room. I think they should be exhausting all options. And, and, and I don't, for as much as I said, it's all about situation. We understand that. And, and I agree that Danny Dimes um, has not been in the greatest environment to succeed, but usually by year three or entering year four, if a quarterback hasn't really shown that he can elevate at all, then he's the chances of him becoming all of a sudden a franchise guy are relatively low. They're not zero. I think if the Giants, you know, spent a bunch in free agency, hit on the on the what the fourth pick and the sixth pick, yeah, he would be better. But I don't know if he's ready to compete to win a Super Bowl, and we know that organization, you know, that's the goal for the 40, or, uh, for the Giants. So I, I think they should be in contact with the Seahawks. They should be doing their due diligence on this quarterback class to have a new head coach, um, a new GM that oversaw the maturation process of, of Josh Allen. They should be the most intrigued with Malik Willis because he had the most similar to Josh Allen college career with similar to Josh Allen uh, traits. And it feels kind of split with Giants fans. Whenever I tweet about that, some still love Daniel Jones and feel like he's kind of been a victim of the environment there. And I think others are ready to move on from him. And I'm, I'm kind of leaning in that direction. It's just it, the thing you have to keep in mind, and it's, you know, it's semi-empty rhetoric at this point, but it, but I, I, well, it's not empty because I think it, it it's a valid thing to point to that would be true of any business that you're in. Do you think the new guys with the Giants are in there like, well, we got to make Danny Dimes work. He's our quarterback. That he, That's oh. the last regime. That's not that's not their problem. I'm sure that they kind of would like to be able to move on from Danny Dimes would be my expectation. But let's let's go to the very top of this thing. And you can go to FanDuel, by the way, and you can get in on who the first overall pick is going to be. And Aiden Hutch uh, first pick is going to be Aiden Hutchinson. Um, number one there is still, let me look at these odds here. Either way, um, do you think that either one of these teams is the, the, um, Jags or the Lions given the Jags? I, I, 
are not going to move on from Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, they're not going to do a Cliff Kingsbury there. But do you think the Lions might be looking to move out of their slot there and roll with Jared Goff? And and, and do you think the Jags might look to move down from from their number one slot, given that they do have their presumed franchise QB now? Because that yeah, opens up because because the, the reason I ask that is sorry to interrupt you yeah. is because yeah. the, you know like I say. I don't know if it's 30 fan bases, but let's say that there are 15 fan bases out there that may have a, a viable starting quarterback right now, but they're there. Well, we got to get, we got to get Kenny Pickett. We got to get Malik Willis. Well, they're not going to be available at 20 or they're not going to be available at 25. Mm-hmm. Those guys, they're You're going to have to move up to get them. Do you, and that's what opens it up. If those high picks start moving around there, or the teams are willing, willing to trade out of that slot. Do you think either one of those is open to the, to, to that notion? Yeah, I do. I think the Jaguars, uh, what, we haven't had a team trade out of number one in a long, since the, what, the, the Rams in 2016? Or the who who had that pick that year? Who was it? For Sam Bradford? Been, for RG3? No, for for Jared Goff. Wasn't that the... That was 16. Didn't they, 16. But yeah, I don't so remember okay. who originally had number one overall, who they traded with. But anyway, it's yeah, been yeah, a while. Yeah. Okay. Who's usually don't trade out of number one overall. This year feels like it could happen because... The offensive tackle class, just for like a quick summary, Evan Neal from Alabama, this kind of Makai Becton-esque talent, uh, that big of a, of a human being, like he's going to be 6'7", 360. His film is not like slam dunk, number one overall pick at the tackle position. And that is a roster that still needs a lot. And Trevor Lawrence, had he had a, you know, borderline offensive rookie of the year campaign, I think they'd say, hey, let's just pick this offensive tackle, plug him in. They have so many holes, especially on defense, too. Uh, they were getting into so many holes in games, like down 21 nothing in the first quarter. Then Trevor Lawrence is pressing, throwing interceptions. Um, I think they should really keep the phone lines open and say, look, we'll move back. We'll take uh, Charles Cross from Mississippi State, Ikea Kwanru from NC State. There's not a lot of delineation between, hey, Evan Neal's here, and then there's a mile, and then there's the number two offensive tackle. I think – they're all pretty packed in there at the top, and it would make sense for the next GM to say, I mean, who knows what Trent Baalke will do if he's going to still have that role um, overseeing the draft. He doesn't seem like too popular of a guy, not that I've ever met him, but it seems like a lot of the head coaches uh, or, or the the candidates are, are not too keen on working with him. I, I think they should trade back. I feel like the Lions are going to pick Aiden Hutchinson. He I like, like that. That's Campbell. a fun story. Of course, yeah, that's it's a cool. Fun st- it's a local. He feels like a Dan Campbell kind of guy. Sure. They need a pass rusher. But number one overall uh, could be on the market more so than we've seen in at least the last five drafts. Do you think that uh, I'm pulling it up here just to to go through it one by one? Well, I don't, I'm not going to read every single name, but in the, let's say, top 10, how many of these teams do you think go after a QB? And by the way, it is I, the argument I always have with Cousin Sal and everybody else is – We have reached, I don't know if you remember this, Trapasso, but I said, you know, six, eight years ago, it's crazy that in a world of seven billion people, we can't find 32 guys to play quarterback (laughs) in the NFL successfully or semi-successfully. And I say, since I said that, we've achieved full QB saturation. Now, there aren't, of course, contracts get in the way and otherwise, and that's how you wind up with, uh, you know, I don't know, to, uh, Heineke or I'm trying to think of even the worst examples yeah. out there of guys 
But if you could just liberate everybody, and, and, and there are 32 human beings now good enough to play semi-decent QB in the NFL. But I still think it because it's sports most important position, people move heaven and earth to try and get not just a guy who's pretty good, but the real difference making kind of a guy that you see in Josh Allen and Joe Burrow on down. How many of these teams do you think go out of their way? We, we know Jacksonville, maybe Detroit would, would make a move to do that. You know, you have the Texans out there. Who knows what's going to be with Watson and the Jets are like the Giants, the Panthers. Um, I mean, obviously, I can tick through every one of these and I can make a case that just about every team I just said to you is, is going to take a QB unless they just took a QB last year. So do you think that we see a lot of QBs for all the noise about none of these guys are going to be worth it? How many QBs do you think we see in, say, the top half of the first round and how many QBs do you think we see one through 32 in the first round this season? I think we'll get two inside the top 16, which is a relatively low number, but not like embarrassingly low. Right. And I won't be surprised if we see two in the back half. We'll see, you know, a, a playoff caliber team that has an older quarterback or maybe the Lions with that second first round pick that they have to not pick one at two, but pick like Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter at where they pick in 31 or, or I guess it's the Rams pick. So it will depend on the Super Bowl um, could be 32. I think we'll see four, which is a pretty respectable number. And to your point earlier, part of the reason why we're not going to get five or six in the first round like we did in 2018 is that you mentioned since Peyton Manning joined the Denver Broncos, the quarterback landscape has kind of changed. And it almost feels like the college transfer portal at this point that veterans are available, mm -hmm. mid-tier guys. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to be on the move. Is Tannehill maybe going to be on the move? Wilson and Rodgers, like, even five to 10 years ago, Mariota, Jameis, Mariota, Jameis, Derek Carr. And so many. There, there, yes, there are a number of, I, I keep saying the word, uh, the, the, the adjective viable doesn't mean great, but you know, these are guys you could plug in and, and get away with for a year and maybe even make the playoffs with. Yeah. That I was saying that, that even someone my age, 33 years old, like, I don't remember pre Peyton so much veteran quarterback movement. Maybe, you know, a guy would fail as a, a starter and then become a backup, but like literally going from starting job to starting job, Kirk cousins kind of being in that mix around that same time as well. Um, I, that will kind of water down the amount of teams that will say, Hey, like the Carolina Panthers could be in the Deshaun Watson mix. We kind of have forgotten about him. Um, if all of his legal things, I don't know if they're going to go away, but if the NFL is okay with them at that point, he's in the mix as well. We're going to see uh, just a lot more veterans be available, too, which is probably suppressing the hype for this quarterback draft class a little bit as well. Boy, it is really this guy who's MVP caliber kind of player and what a difference maker he is down there in Houston. And it's all like a, a year ago. He wanted out and everybody was singing songs about how we, we must liberate Deshaun Watson from the bump situation. It really is a crazy story that there hasn't been much progress in the story in the last year and where he's going to land is gigantic. And I wonder, and I know you're not equipped to answer it any better than I am, is I wonder, you know, is does the Flores stuff and the Gruden stuff and this mess over here and this mess over there with the league, does that improve or decrease the chances of Deshaun Watson? Does the league want that headache of like putting the, the, a franchise is going to build 
their franchise around this guy who at this point is problematic or will that all go away? That's another major chip that yeah. doesn't have to be resolved, but probably is going to be resolved one way or the other. You would think in the next literally like month or so, if you before free agency or before the draft fascinating. And by the way, you can believe me or not, I'm not going to read them here, but just go from 2016 to present. It is really about as close to 50-50 as it gets. Taking a quarterback mm-hmm. in the first round and that guy succeeding to this point is as close yep. to 50-50 as you're going to get. Maybe 60-40 um, as a positive. Um, okay, so Malik Willis, we think someone is going to be seduced by potential there. I agree with you. Do you want to pick a team that you think he goes to and or the best spot Ooh. for him to go in all of pro football? The best spot for him to probably land with, I'm looking at all the teams here inside the top 10. By by April, I'll have almost the first round order memorized, but I do not have it memorized yet. The best spot to me would be the Atlanta Falcons to let Malik Willis sit behind Matt Ryan. And the, the fact that Matt Ryan is kind of the opposite of him uh, up here in Buffalo, like Josh Allen said, that having Matt Barkley as his backup was huge for his development, that he was learning from Matt Barkley, like, hey, here's how you throw with anticipation. You see this coverage, you have to release it a little bit earlier. You can't just trust your arm. I think sitting for a season behind Matt Ryan to learn the intricacies of reading coverages, understanding where to go when there's a blitz, to throw at it or throw away from it, that would be the best scenario for him. It's kind of a team that needs to rebuild. They could spend a year rebuilding the roster, too. Um, and I feel like the Carolina Panthers, they do have a connection to your guy, Kenny Pickett. Uh, that Matt Rule mm-hmm. had him as a, uh, a a temple recruit at one point. Um, but I feel like Matt Rule kind of understands that he's going to be on the hot seat this season if they don't take a big step forward. And they've certainly been very heavily invested in the quarterback position with trading for Darnold, signing P.J. Walker, bringing back Cam. Like I, I think he understands the importance of it like and the immediate need for that position that um, it, it feels like somewhere inside the top 10. I just feel like the Panthers – are the team are kind of desperate and maybe someone that doesn't like Malik Willis would feel like a desperate team would pick him. But I think they've been the most uh, aggressive team trying to right the ship with their quarterback position. I'll tell you, it's fun because, you know, Tom Brady opens up a world of possibilities that again, things that you would never hear before, you know, three years ago, if I would have told you four years ago, yeah, Tom Brady's going to leave the Patriots. That would have been the jaw dropper (laughs) enough, but that he would go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is where you would draw the line. Like, all right, now you've gone too far, (laughs) but if you're Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, and the goal is to Mm. win Super Bowls, the I mean, the Sierra factor that, you know, she supposedly covets New York for her own career. I don't know how valid that is, um, but let's say it is. If you're Aaron Rodgers and the goal is winning the Super Bowl, not anything else, then Carolina makes a ton of sense as far as I'm concerned. You're loaded up with, with skill position guys. You have a, an interesting defense and you don't want to go to the AFC. There, there are too many good quarterbacks. You definitely don't want to go to the AFC West. You don't want to go into division yeah. with Mahomes and uh, and Herbert for for the next season. Mm-hmm. So, I those possibilities exist if 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 the QB is open to them and those big name guys are are interesting. But I do like the Malik Willis connection. That makes a lot of sense. SEC country, all that kind of stuff for Willis. Now let's talk about Mister Smallhands, Kenny Pickett. Start there. How valid is it in 2022 to worry about the size of a guy's hands if he's going to be a quarterback for your pro football team? 
I worry about it more than a quarterback's height, but it's still extremely low on the list. And it's, it's kind of to what I said about the size and, and the arm strength thing earlier, that if it was clearly a concern that Kenny Pickett fumbled the ball 50 times in college or whenever there was a crappy weather game, he looked like a shell of himself when it was a nice day in Pittsburgh. Um, and then, yes, it would be a, a monstrous concern, probably kick him out of the first round. I didn't necessarily notice that in watching Kenny Pickett's film. I like the fact that he was super experienced, so he's seen every different coverage. He's played in different environments, hot, cold, rain, snow, whatever. Won some big games early in his career. You probably remember that upset over Miami uh, when I think he was a freshman late in the season, bad weather game, and he looked like a, a future NFL player in that game. Um, so the hand size thing, maybe a f- handful of teams – uh, will be concerned about it. But I think it, in general, teams have really gone to, all right, let's look at the traits and how good he was, how productive he was in college. And Kenny Pickett got better pretty much every season with the Pitt Panthers and saved his best for last in his uh, what super senior season with the Panthers. I like that you said that it would be a handful of teams that would be concerned about his hand size. <laughs> There's some irony involved in that. Yeah, and he is from your experience with, with yourself or, or, or with your peer group in evaluating these guys, it, is it a virtue or is it something to kind of put a red flag next to that it took him to this point to have one magic season? He got all those reps and he didn't really emerge as a as a guy who anybody considered a first round pick. I mean, I I did put it on social media early in the season and I said, this guy is all of a sudden, you know, maybe I'm wearing pit colored glasses, but all of a sudden he feels like he's elevated to the point that you he's going to land somewhere in the first round. And people mostly laughed at me. Now he's certainly going to be a first round pick. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I get this. I, I remember thinking about Joe Burrow like, hmm, didn't beat out Dwayne Haskins. Had got lined up on on that one dynamite LSU team and really took off from there. Are we sure he definitely is going to be the long term answer for a team? I guess we have our answer now. It would seem, but uh, you know, how does that work with a guy who has one really great senior season? Is I could you might say, oh, that's good. That means he he's capable of learning and processing information and and building on that. Yeah, we're at such an interesting uh, point with quarterback evaluation because of how the the position is changing. That we know that that teams want this improvisational guy with the big arm. When we were we're moving out of the pocket passer era, at least for a certain time, I, I think it kind of is a little bit cyclical. Um, that also in the past, maybe even five to ten years ago, if a guy was a one year starter, like Mitch Trubisky was actually the guy that like got picked yeah, right. so early at number two overall. And everyone's like, how did this happen? Mark Sanchez too. There was that Pete Carroll press conference where he kind of infamously threw Mark Sanchez under the bus and said he probably should have stayed. So those two failures, everyone's like, hey, see, you need to have three or four years of experience. Like Bill Parcells had a certain amount of gains he wanted to see from his college quarterbacks before he would draft them. But then you have Kyler Murray, you have Joe Burrow, Um, those two quarterbacks, not only just going number one overall, but being pretty successful right away, I think has kind of opened the door for, Hey, if you just at least showed that you can have one elite season at the college level where you're showing NFL caliber traits, that's all you really need to, to be able to be that guy. Once you get to the NFL level. And I, with Pickett, I like that he's got a mixture that he's played a bunch of games. And then he also has the one dynamite season. Had he just slowly progressed and maybe thrown 25 touchdowns this year with 10 interceptions, oh, that was his best season, but never was elite. 
then I think there wouldn't be nearly as many people saying this is a first round pick. Um, so to be able to have that one epic season like he had, I think just allows scouts to see you operating like a franchise quarterback like he was for the Pitt Panthers this season. So last couple things here. Uh, held you up uh, long enough. These, I just uh, This is an endlessly fascinating um, sort of conversation that has turned pro football from four months of the year into truly a 365-day kind of a thing. And, and, and I really do eat it up, especially now that I'm on the side of needing a quarterback for my favorite football yeah. team. But, you know, I ticked through them. Deshaun Watson ahead for a lot of people of Patrick Mahomes a few years ago. Um, you know, it went Goff, Wentz, and Paxton Lynch was were first were first rounders back in 2016. Uh, uh, Lamar Jackson went later than everybody else. Josh Allen went behind Bake and Sam Darnold. Is there a guy? It seems pretty clear as I'm going through it. I've seen some buzz here and there, but it does feel pretty consistent now that it's Pickett and Willis are most people's one-two there. If there's a guy we're mm-hmm. not talking enough about now, much like Russell Wilson being a third-round pick and Aaron Rodgers ultimately going uh, 20 picks behind Alex Smith uh, way back when and so on and so forth, who's the guy who we're not buzzing about enough right now? There's Carson Strong Probably. out there, by the way. You might throw his name into Yeah. That. Uh, yeah, he, he's one of them, but I'll go with Desmond Ritter because he kind of fits that mold of the improvisational mobile quarterback Had Carson strong from Nevada, not had like a knee injury in college and pretty much sapped all of his mobility. I think he would be that guy. Cause he's a really polished passer. He's kind of entering the NFL like 10 years late. Desmond Ritter. He, he checks a lot of the same boxes as Kenny Pickett. He was like a four year starter for Cincinnati got uh, better, improved as a passer in really all of his seasons there. Um, never had a, a Joe Burrow or Kenny Pickett caliber, you know, 45 touchdowns, seven interception type season. But you see the traits. He's got a pretty good arm. Um, they used him a lot on, on, on rollouts, on bootlegs. He can improvise a little bit. He's a little bigger. He's like six foot three, 220 pounds. Um, and, and he kind of feels like, I'm not going to say Ben Roethlisberger, but he can be that game manager on a good team early on. And you're not going to see him lose a lot of games for you because that's really what he did at Cincinnati that Luke fickle built that program up really well. And he was just hitting receivers in stride, not making mistakes, finding open guys. Desmond Ritter feels like maybe the late first or early second round guy that we kind of look back on and say, Hey, he really didn't have any clear cut flaws. He wasn't sensational, but now he's, you know, he landed with the Steelers at pick 20 or in the second round, They are great at drafting receivers in round two. He's got a good uh, group of receivers. The offensive line is young. It's good now. The defense is solid. And look, Desmond Ritter is a top 10 or a top 15 starter in the NFL. Yeah. And, you know, talk about situations. If you have a great offensive line, that's great for a pocket passer. I think people get weird about the like, well, you're going to put a guy who who runs who runs great behind a bad offensive line that won't work yeah no that will that's exactly what you want you want a guy who can run away from from the pressure what you can't have is sadly is what uh, Roethlisberger was exposed to he couldn't get off his mark and he got the hell beat out of him put a young guy back there who can who can run away with it get different results all right last thing go out on a go out on a bummer here with your draft talk and tell us what's the one QB people have buzzing about how strong corral otherwise who you're circling is like, that's the guy I don't want. I think it's Matt Corral. It, it would either be Corral or Howell. Um, Matt Corral, when you watch his film, you see the highlights, you see Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, SEC. 
you're expecting to see this this highlight reel film, but it's really not. I, I think his ball placement, his accuracy, just on wide open throws from inside the pocket, is not really that great. I, I don't think it's first round caliber. And we are seeing more RPOs. They'll probably bring it up 50 times in the Super Bowl. That's coming into the NFL. More teams are using it more frequently. But almost strictly what Matt Corral did at Ole Miss was run an RPO. It was an RPO slant or a post or a deep ball. In terms of reading the defense, scanning that you still need to do once you get to the NFL and you're playing on Sundays, I think he's a little bit behind in that regard. He is pretty athletic. I think he tries to run a little bit too much, and he's not to that Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen caliber where it's going to be a real weapon for his game. So I, I just think there's a lot more polish um, to his game that's needed and he's being elevated because of the SEC because of his time with Lane Kiffin and the numbers that he put up in that conference. Interesting. See, you could talk me into him real easy. I would not push back too hard because he was with Lane Kiffin that he's somehow better mentally prepared to, to make the jump to a, a more complex uh, world in, in pro football. All right. I could ask you who you're, well, you know what? I'm legally required. You got to give me your pick for the Super Bowl. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I think there's not only something about Joe Burrow, just in, in those clutch moments, he got away from some pressure in that fourth quarter uh, against the Chiefs, made some big plays. But what's not being talked about enough is, like you mentioned at the outset of this, the job that their scouting or, or, or that their front office, their scouting staff did in free agency with signing Eli Apple. Like Eli Apple was making plays for them. Chidobe Awuzie from the uh, Dallas Cowboys has been fantastic for them. Von Bell, the safety from the Saints, like they have guys who can really cover Trey Hendrickson. A lot of people were scratching their heads like, why did they sign him when they could have just re-signed their own guy, Carl Lawson? And obviously we we never got to see Carl Lawson this season because he got injured. But I think the defense will give the Rams a few more problems than people think like Matt Ro- or uh, Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup are just going to throw it all over the lot. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. Um, I would love to see Matt Stafford win a Super Bowl. It's really for me. A Super Bowl that I don't really care who wins. It's not Tom Brady versus the world, um, which for me and my dad will be a lot more enjoyable than the last what, seemingly every Super Bowl that Tom Brady's been a part of. Uh, but I think the Bengals get it done in a little bit of a low scoring, like 24-21, somewhere in that range. Fun. Well, uh, the, the reason, the thing I was going to say to you is, well, you can do it. Fan do it right now, Trapasso or anyone else. Mm. I love this. This is my favorite thing. See, I don't these two teams. I'm done. I don't care. I want. I want. I'm worried about my team next year. Guess what? You can bet on who's going to win the Super Bowl next year. Guess what? The Buffalo Bills plus seven hundred alongside the mm. Kansas City Chiefs, well ahead of the Rams and the Cowboys and the 49ers. Those are the those are the shortest odds you can get. Plus seven hundred. Your Chiefs and Bills are in good shape, uh, according to the the bookmakers. And to my point, that the top one. Uh, on the NFC side is the Cowboys at plus 1,200. Boy, if Rodgers wow. and Russ both leave the NFC, one of them should stay for their own good because the, yeah. the cupboard is so much spare on that side of the thing, or at least the way it sets up right now. Um, in the meantime, yeah. it's your sweet spot. It's like being a tax man for you the next couple of months, so we appreciate you taking some time to kibitz with us. And the answer is to the Super Bowl question, you got it wrong, Trapasso. You're supposed to say, I don't give a good goddamn who wins. I'm not picking that game because the Bills ain't in it. You're still supposed to be licking your wounds on behalf of your old man and otherwise. But uh, thanks for all the time, man.
Shaq, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So yeah, Eddie Spaghetti, good, uh, good lengthy conversation per usual. It's great. The draft is one of my favorite uh, events or sporting events. Uh, it, it's 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 so fun to see. Like I, I love college football, so seeing these players get drafted is great. Unfortunately for me, my team's been picking pretty high. And, and Chris did touch on the Giants and uh, your your take on the Russell Wilson thing. And I'm sure the Giants are kind of looking into it. And it's a real interesting draft because there's a lot of teams you don't know which way they're going to go. And the Giants are one of those teams. Like, could Joe Shane clear? upwards of $40 million of cash space and bring in a guy like Russell Wilson. Like it's entirely possible, but then you're going to lose guys like probably like Sterling Shepard or Blake Martinez, good impactful players when healthy, they're going to cut. Um, so do they go with a quarterback route and draft a guy? I, I don't know. Like I, I mentioned on an earlier pod that like the, all the GMs they brought in and all the head coaches they brought in, like said that Daniel Jones like gets a thumbs up in their book. And I guess the league's vision of Daniel Jones is different from what the public and the, the Twitter sphere says. So it's one of those things where I don't think they could do any wrong. I think if they keep Jones draft offensive line, they'll like what Chris was saying, like with the, the bills kind of method, they, he will improve. He can get back to at least the rookie year when he was, pretty good as a floor um, that obviously if they, if they clear some space and get a guy like Russell Wilson, I'm not going to complain or maybe, you know, Kyler Murray now who seems like he wants to leave Arizona, but, uh, and I agree with the drafts with the quarterbacks, there's always going to be a quarterback who's pretty good. And uh, I've watched uh, enough Malik uh, Willis games and I watch a lot of the, uh, the senior bowl practice and stuff. And he seems to be pretty electric. So that wouldn't be the worst case scenario either. It is. He's got that thing that um, Lamar Jackson has, which is that he looks like Frogger, the video game. That they accelerate from a stop-down position. They're going in one direction, and then suddenly they're going in a different direction at full speed. It's crazy. They can come to, like, a stop on the log and then, boop, bounce in a different direction. I've never seen anything like that, and I don't know how you really handle that, but, of course, I've expressed my feelings on the limitations long-term of Lamar Jackson, but certainly... Like I say, if you adjust your eye like you do with a running back and you look for like a five-year window, you'd be crazy not to want Malik Willis. If you knew you were going to get Lamar Jackson level performance for the next four or five years, you would want that on your team. Um, this side of anybody who right now probably has Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, or you know, or the handful of of young QBs, basically Lamar Jackson's peer group. I like let's uh, let's cover a couple of these prop bets here, as promised here, Eddie Spaghetti. The, one of the Super Bowl props I like out there is you can bet the position of the MVP award winner. Obviously, you can get in there short odds on the two QBs. Uh, Cooper Cup looks like decent value at plus 550. Obviously, if he has a outsized uh, percentage of the catches in a Rams victory versus Odell Beckham and company, then he would maybe have a, a, a good shot at it. Aaron Donald jumps out. Um, this could be the signature game of a guy who's going to go down in history as the greatest defensive player of all time. You can get him at plus 1,600 as your MVP. And against that offensive line, is it impossible? Like, I could see him getting four sacks, and if they win and it's not a high-scoring game, like you said earlier, maybe there's a path there. Anyway, you can bet that. But I like the broader position of the MVP award winner, and to the point, you know, quarterback ain't worth it at minus 300 to bet that, but wide receiver is plus the 300. So now that gives you Jamar Chase and Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham. And then if you throw a little something also on any defensive player, 
at plus 870, I think you have something to root for for the four hours of of Super Bowl Sunday. And also, don't forget, pair that up with my um, my safety bet at plus 960. That's a fun one that will be alive for you for the entirety of that game. Any props that jump out at you there, Eddie Spaghetti? Well, I I could see in this game, and I think I said this on waiver wire with Jen, is and we both agreed on this. I I feel like if the Bengals win the game, Joe Burrow is going to get the MVP because just of how insane his playoff runs been. And like I I think I'm actually made the reference. It's almost like the Con Smythe, like he's the playoff MVP. Like sack nine times versus the Titans, down 18 points, and Arrowhead goes on and and you know wins the Super Bowl. And they do have some great players. Like I also wouldn't be shocked if Joe Mixon finally has a big game. Like we saw a bunch of screen passes too. I think it was a uh, Samaj Piran. Like if those go to Mixon and Mixon uh, had a couple of nice chunk runs, especially in the second half of the game versus uh, Kansas city, I could see like Mixon being in the, uh, in the mix for uh, MVP here. So I do like the, the running back uh, plus it was a uh, plus 10 20 to an MVP. And obviously the Rams have two pretty good running backs. Sonny Michelle has been there, done that. Uh, Cam Akers now the you know as each week goes by he's only going to get healthier because obviously he missed a, a chunk of time with his injury uh, wide receiver as well plus range like you said is good and if you look in the history of who wins Super Bowl MVP every couple years you see a defensive player come up there and win it Von Miller has one in the past he's back in this game uh, and they have Aaron Donald and and there, there are still a few guys uh, Jalen Ramsey he has a couple interceptions maybe he gets a pick six like there are definitely enough guys there that that could win the um, uh, MVP there are other props I like I was looking at like to to score uh, like just touchdown scorers and the only guys with with uh, my like Cooper Cup is minus 190, Cam Akers is minus 120. Everyone else in that game is plus money. Jamar Chase plus money, Joe Mixon plus money, Odell Beckham plus money, Higgins, Boyd, Sony Michelle plus money. Those are all players who I, I think are going to score touchdowns. I, I, you know, I could see a game where both running backs on on uh, the Rams and, and and Mixon scores. I think Odell Beckham is going to be heavily involved. Uh, he seems to be part of the, a big part of the game plan. I don't see Cooper Cup destroying the Bengals. Like I think the Bengals have two weeks of repair. They know to stop Cooper cup. So to wrap up this long winded thing, I, uh, there's a lot of guys I think could score touchdowns. Even if it's a low scoring game, I think there's a lot of guys that could score touchdowns who are going to get the ball. And, uh, and with MVP. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think the running back receiver is definitely the way to go to bet on the position. I mean, the bottom line is there's so the, I, I hear you on mixing and, you know, I do think that, if you're doing some simplistic sort of matchup stuff, Jalen Ramsey likely catches chase the entire game. And so I wouldn't go heavy on Jamar chase stuff, but you can get all sorts of cup V chase in terms of receiving yards, which one of those guys catches a pass first and receiving yards of the running backs mixing versus acres. And so, I mean, it goes as deep as probably your imagination will run. So get in there at FanDuel. And again, make sure you bet as, uh, at FanDuel.com slash minus three um, is how you do that. And right now we don't just talk Super Bowl. We don't just try, talk pro football. It's time for a little puck talk as we jump in to the second half of the NHL season. The puck's about to drop. Let's hear about it with spaghetti and meatballs. Folks, we're back. Spaghetti and meatballs here. I'm Eddie Spaghetti with 
Mikey Meatballs. We're uh, here recording after All-Star Weekend, a fantastic weekend in Vegas. Uh, I know me and Meatballs watched every single minute of this All-Star Weekend, skills competition, all the fun stuff, and the game. Um, no, kidding. We talked about a little bit before the All-Star break and said that there's just some weird stuff that we're not fully on board with. The uh, Metro Division did win. They won the first game, beating the Pacific 6-4, to then they beat the Central 5-3, to Claude Giroux. Um, was named MVP of the game. Meatballs, uh, I know you probably feel the same way I do. Any thoughts on the All-Star game? How would you adjust it? Anything you enjoyed watching a little bit you did? Uh, please share it with our uh, faithful listeners. All right, so I know he was dealing with a little bit of a knee injury, but um, Connor McDavid should participate in every event in the All-Star game because he is the best player in professional hockey, and I think that's the guy they need to showcase. And if the NHL wants to market this league, they need to showcase the best player Very true. who... He might be the best player, uh, you know, across all four majors, uh, respective to his sport. So, I'm with you. That, I'm with that's you on my that. opinion on how to fix it. The the like what happened though that like years ago when you had like Chara and Shea Weber doing like the slap shot thing. I know like that was like that fun OV like hitting the plates in the corner. Like there was a bunch of different competitions that people were into, and the games were more fun. I mean, I don't know if it's a thing now where people just have so much TV and movie access at any time, all these streaming services that like nobody wants to tune into appointment television. Um, so I don't know if that's a, it's a case where just like there's just fatigue. I mean, do they make it interesting by making it mean something like pull a major league baseball move? And I don't know what the incentive could be to the, the winning team or winning division, but like, I just feel like it's, it's lacking something to make fans want to tune in. I don't know if you have an idea of what to do to make it better. I know the McDavid idea is great, um, but I don't know uh, overall if like to make somebody tune in because it, it's the game was worthwhile. Like, I, I don't know, like the winning division higher draft pick or uh i don't know home, i don't know how to even do it because you have it's based on records for home ice and stuff right. like that so it's that's why it makes it so tough but like for me personally i was watching the game and like uh it, it, when you're on, the, on these odd man rushes and like there's just no defense being played you, you leave the goalie out to dry and it always ends up being a goal i was just like man i i, I kind of had enough of this yeah i i think you know, the all-star game and these events are kind of made more uh, for the kids, for the younger people. Sure. But I don't think they're tuning into it as much as, you know, I might have when I was younger. Um, so, I don't know. You got to make it more accessible to, uh, I guess, the younger generation and try to draw them in more. Uh, so, how you do that, I don't know. But I, I don't know. Maybe you got to add more skills competition. You got to promote some of these younger guys better. Like I, I, Jack Hughes, I know he had a pretty insane goal, which they um, yeah. were highlighting a lot. But you need more of that, I guess. Who uh, Jack just, Hughes uh, was the one stop and click type thing. Not Jack Hughes, uh, Zegras, but uh, Hughes also had a, you know, he was doing some yeah. cool stuff. The, blind, but, the um, blindfold goal by Travis yeah. Hughes was awesome. And, and uh, Jack Hughes, you mentioned who now was placed on the, the COVID list um, for the Devils, which is not good. And they have a, a relatively easier game versus Montreal. And we'll give our best bets out shortly. Um, but yeah, and I'm sure the players in Vegas had a great time. I'm sure people who attended had a great time. Um, I, I don't want to be too harsh on it. I love the NHL, but I just feel like, for me, as we both do, and uh, obviously we weren't really tuning in for every second because it just doesn't really have the the juice um, that you, you, the regular fan would would need to watch it that matters. But uh, moving on to hockey that counts, real hockey. Next year, 2023, January 1st, the Winter Classic has been announced to be in uh, Boston and Fenway Park. Obviously, the Bruins will be hosting, and it seems like the speculation is pointing to the Pittsburgh Penguins 
to face them because obviously they're both part of that Fenway sports uh, group now. Mm -hmm. So the both teams would be playing each other there. Um, Fenway park, a, a, you know, I know my college Boston university has played there. Uh, The flyers played the Bruins there years back um, in 2010, I believe Uh, a a historic ballpark. And as a a Yankee fan, as somebody from New York uh, who is anti all things, Boston, but did go to school there. I do have a soft spot for Fenway park. And I think it is a, it's an awesome venue despite, you know, it's just because I I appreciate the oldness of it, despite the seats being small and the concourse is being narrow and the ceilings are low. um, It must be a special event there to, to see a hockey game. So Meebles, I wanted to ask you, what is uh, a place that you'd love to see a hockey game being played at? Oh, well, just to go off like old baseball fields, I guess Wrigley Field would be. Yeah. uh, Have they ever done that there? I went to one at Yankee Stadium uh, years ago, which was which was great. Um, I don't know. Maybe you figure out some sort of uh, field of dreams type thing, like they did with. I know they tried it with Lake Tahoe, but uh, maybe there's more of um, a Midwest event like they did in Iowa with baseball. Mm-hmm. Maybe NHL could steal something from there. Oh, the Red Wings played the the Blackhawks there in 09, the year before the Fenway okay. Park game. So it did. It was it was a, a, a while ago. I know they played a game at the Big House, like Angus Stadium, like you mentioned. They had games there. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's weird too with Fenway. Me not liking the teams, but liking the stadium, and and uh, it, like I know the shape of it, especially with the Green Monster, cuts away from some seats. Might not be the most ideal place to watch a hockey game, but I, I feel like especially that time of year, it's nice and cold in Boston. I think it's an, it's an awesome event yep. um, to go to. That would be something I'd like to see interested and in, see if I can go to that as well. Um, let's move on to our best bets here. Uh, hockey is returning. We have games today, but we'll give you some bets for either Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, Meeples, I know you have a couple bets you liked, uh, I believe, with the the Columbus-Washington game, right? Uh, I do. I do think I like Washington minus one and a half coming out the break, uh, a little bit rested. Uh, they, they're looking to um, – continue their push uh, for the playoffs. I know they weren't great before the all-sub break, but Columbus isn't a very good team, so I do like Washington. And uh, I do like Minnesota to beat uh, the Jets. Jets have struggled all year. And, um, you know, I, guys like Kaprizov, I think, will just go right through the Jets, and uh, they'll be able to get the win there. I'm going to give you um, one dog, one favorite. The Bruins on Tuesday are hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins, which should be a really good game. They are giving the goal and a half, uh, plus 210 right now on com slash minus three for placing that bet. I know the, the Penguins had a couple close games, overtime games. Uh, you know, the Kings, the, the the Red Wings, not great teams, right before the break. So their play is uh, up and down, and uh, I think the Bruins are a good team, a complete team, and selfishly, I need the, the Penguins to start losing more games so the Rangers could kind of extend their lead. The other game I do like on Tuesday, uh, the Oilers, which has been probably the number one most talked about team on this show, and um, they're home, but they're playing the Vegas Golden Knights. The Knights are getting a goal and a half, and the Oilers are a team I just don't trust. I don't care that Evander Kane is there. They still have a lot of issues, and uh, I think the Knights are only going to get better, obviously, with the return of Jack Eichel soon, but they're a pretty good team right now. I like them with the, the goal and a half there. So, fan.com slash minus three. Go place those bets. And um, and before we wrap up here, Meatballs, I've got to your 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 name here is All Star Adam Pellick. So I can give you a, a minute just talk about your Islanders uh, and and their All Star and any last words about um, about hockey right now and and on the Long Island. Well, uh, Adam Pellick, best defenseman in New York State. Uh, oh, oh my God, we got to wrap Pellick up now. Posse. Uh, he you know he knows 
if you saw him, he, he's got some offensive talent he's been hiding too. So, you know, just just wait till he's a future Norris winner uh, for 10 years in a row. Disgusting. I don't even know why I gave you that time. All right. Well, we'll see you next Monday. Hockey's back. No more fake hockey. Panda.com slash minus three. Place those bets. See you soon. Good stuff there. Spaghetti and meatballs. Um, it's fun that the that that uh, New Year's Day game, we get a little preview of it in Boston on Tuesday night. Good place to start. Black and gold on golden black. I don't know why. The Bruins, For I guess I, I, I even though the Pens won um, back-to-back Wales Conference crowns against those Bruins, they still seem, they still scare me a little bit. I, they, they intimidate me. I don't hate them. I just feel intimidated by them. Like we're phonies when the Boston Bruins skate out under the ice. Anyway, we'll see how it all goes. Gino Malkin now with the COVID, yikes. Anyway, uh, good stuff from uh, from you guys and uh, good stuff from Chris Trapasso and uh, good stuff by those of you who've hung with us all the way through to hear my voice right now. If you're doing so, please spread the good word. Tell everybody to download, subscribe, all the rest of us, and bet along with us, fanduel.com. Slash minus three. We'll be back on Thursday with Kevin Hench to get you right for Super Bowl 56. Until then, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.